Welcome to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Here we create a window into the backstory of technology adoption in England's National Health Service. I'm your host, Victoria Betton. For the last in the first series of the Digital Ecology Podcast, I'm really happy to be joined by Charlotte Fox. And today, Charlotte and I are going to get under the bonnet of innovation in the NHS and ask the question if, what, how um, innovation occurs within um, the NHS. Charlotte's been around for a while. She joined the NHS as a volunteer at the age of 17 and has stayed here ever since. She's a molecular biologist by background, went into clinical trials and then moved into innovation within an academic health science network and now leads on innovation at one of the largest acute trusts in the country um, in Newcastle. So welcome Charlotte, it's very lovely to have you here with me today. Thank you, Victoria. It's really nice to be here. So tell me a bit about your journey into innovation. So a little bit about what took you into this world of the NHS and, and what innovation means to you. With most things in life, for me, it's about curiosity. I think that's what uh, got me into the NHS in the first place and kind of keeps me here. Our department, so I worked at uh, Sea Hospital Sunderland Foundation Trust. I went on maternity leave. Um, our department was research and development. And then when I came back from maternity leave, it was research and innovation. Um, and, and I'm always really honest about it. Um, I, I fell into the job. I got the role as innovation manager. And the first thing I had to do was Google it because I had no idea what innovation actually meant. I knew it was a buzzword and it was kind of on trend, but I didn't really know what that meant, what that meant for me what it meant for the organisation and actually where the hell do we start. Um, so I was really fortunate. Um, I really enjoyed kind of that time of just understanding what it was, how it kind of fitted into the organisation as kind of this fledgling department and kind of how that that grew over time and how uh, now I, I can look back on it and just see how kind of my knowledge and understanding, I think, of innovation has also um, grown uh, within that time. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's kind of what got me into innovation. I think it's absolutely what keeps me in innovation as well. You know, that it is every day is so different and everything I work on is, is a lot is different and so diverse. So, yes, I'm always kept curious and, and want to learn more and know more and connect with more people. So. So I want to hear more about that in a moment. But first of all, if I just take you back to when you Googled innovation, maybe you could just say a bit about if you can remember what your fledgling understanding of innovation was and, and what it, how you would define it now, you know, these number of years into working in this field. I'm very much I like to go with the flow. I think when I, you know, when I was when I was a little girl, I had a very I knew exactly what I wanted to be uh, when I was four years old and I had my adenoids removed and the anaesthetist came in with clippy cloppy shoes and a handbag and I thought, I want to be like her. I want clippy cloppy shoes and a handbag. <laughs> and then as life goes on and progresses, it was like, oh, uh, left home. And I was like, okay, I don't know what I want to do or what I want to be, but uh, I'm just going to go with the flow. And, I, and absolutely, I think that's uh, that's kind of been me up till now. But I found something in innovation that, I'm really passionate about and you know I genuinely love it. And it sounds like you rely on serendipity a lot as do I actually so your career has been to some extent informed by serendipity those moments those opportunities that you've turned into something. 
Yeah, so I think at first, you know, when you when we Google innovation, it's about making an improvement, making, you know, making a, a change that has a positive impact in its simplest term. And then, you know, as you kind of contextualise that definition, it, it's different for different people and it's different in different settings and what it means. So, and you know, as, as I've kind of grown into the role in its simplest form, you know, innovation for me, it's just doing something better. And that can be from a really simple idea. So when in healthcare, you know, in work, it's just making that the experience, whether it's, you know, you in your role or the patients or the carers, anything in that kind of role that just makes an, a, a positive impact is an innovation for me. And then, of course, as we look to operationalise innovation and what does that mean for the organisation, the definition can broaden, you know, whether it's to define it as a service improvement, whether you define it as something that, you know, we want to commercialise and bring in new revenue for so it can you know it broadens out depending on what you work on but you know for me it's about how we um help people to understand that innovation is what we do every day and that everybody has an impact on on innovation in their daily roles and for me in my role it's about how i can support those people to make their ideas into a reality you know depend you know it can be anything from a small uh, kind of not a small but uh, an impactful service improvement um, or whether it's something larger um, in terms of kind of across a system, a transformational change across a system. You know, we've got multiple stakeholders across the ecosystem. As you were speaking, I was just sort of thinking about where improvement sits, so quality improvement, which tends to be clinically led, smaller, incremental improvements to a service. And then when I think about innovation, I think about that as being maybe at the other end of the spectrum, which is either something that's new that's brought in from one sector and applied into another sector, or where it is something that's a step change. And I've always been curious about the extent to which we can do innovation within the NHS. I think I think the NHS does improvement well, although I'm, I, I'm not sure we're always as good at uh, embedding improvement and then sort of scaling it, for want of a better word, about being able to get that improvement used a lot in, in, in maybe multiple services. But do you how do you conceptualise those differences and, and where does your role sit when it comes, do you have an improvement team as well or do you have the brief for sort of improvement as well as a sort of innovation? Yeah, that's a really good point and it's something that we tackled kind of early on in that understanding what innovation means to us within our own NHS organisation. Um, we had a certain different service improvement department. We still have a different service improvement department in the current organisation that I work for. And again, it comes back to what the organisation defines as innovation. What's really important for me in that role of innovation is that we work alongside each other because there's that I see this kind of a porous interface between service improvement, innovation and research and other other departments across the hospital. The important thing for me is um, how do we create those spaces to convene those people to come together? Obviously, you know, the power of diversity and innovation is really important. We need those skill sets in terms of service improvement, quality improvement. We also need the skill set in terms of innovation and due diligence, ensuring that what we're working on is the right thing and that it's something that hasn't already been done somewhere else. I really champion that pinch with pride. You know, when someone comes to me with a good idea or a particular improvement that they're working on, and the first thing I like to do and, and encourage is that just has it happened elsewhere and what are the learnings we can take from that? 
you can't always lift and shift something um, because it's different in each um, environment but there's a lot of learning to be had so again it comes back to you know bringing those people from different departments together to have that kind of tacit knowledge exchange supporting each other and really kind of harnessing that that diversity that those those skill sets bring as well. You've talked earlier on about serendipity, you've talked about convening, you've talked about diversity, and then also about making sure that you've got some contextual fit. So it's there's an alignment in terms of maybe strategic priorities of an organisation. What would you say, so, so the, those seem to me to be like characteristics of of like how you create um, a permissive context for innovation. Um, just talk to me a bit more about that. So what are the right conditions or characteristics you want to facilitate that sort of enables people to flourish when it comes to innovation? Because this is not an easy context at the moment for anyone in the NHS. It's not, you're correct. I think the most powerful thing for me has been um, in a previous organisation I worked for, the chief executive was very visible in every kind of speech he made or um, conversation he, he was he was having around innovation. He was he was reinforcing that just innovate, innovate, innovate until somebody tells you to stop. That's really powerful because it's kind of giving that permission for people to do that. It's encouraging that, and it's that visibility as well. For me, it's it's really important to have that permission to have those role models, to have that psychological safety. The culture um, to allow innovation is really important. And it's it's something that takes time and it requires, I see it as like a, a, a being a, I'm not a good gardener, but <laughs> so I don't know how, uh, how good this is to use, but in t- I see it as being a gardener. You've got to nurture those things. You know, you're absolutely taking something and, and you're nurturing it over time and, and the culture will change over time. I think that's what's really nice about, you know, when I've worked in an organisation for several years, it's really nice to see where we've started. And, you know, after a few years, the difference that these things have made by just identifying role models for innovation, identifying what is the good stuff and really focusing in on that and sharing that and giving people the platform to share their good work. Um, And I think that inspires other people you know to do that as well and that's what I hope to bring into this role that I have now I've been in this organization for a little over a year you know I'm really excited by that I've just I've just been going out there and finding out all this good stuff that's going on but at the moment there's not really that platform to share that and I think that's probably the case across the NHS is you know we've got this termed a cottage industry you know it's not just the NHS is is a a word and underneath that you've got lots of different organizations within the NHS all working on very you know working on the same things but we don't know what they're working on how to share that and I I just think there's a there's a lot more that can be done in terms of culture within organizations themselves but then across the NHS you know how we raising that profile of innovation how we sharing what's in the pipeline and how we how we taking that and and using it within our own organisations to benefit our service users. When you use that gardening analogy, this is about cultivating, it's about facilitating, it's about convening. So it's very much a it's very much a nurturing sort of role. It's a fine balance as well, because within the NHS, there's a lot of assurance that's required, a lot of governance. You need to create that safe space in which to innovate, because innovation can be seen as risky. 
you don't want to add risk into anyone's agenda, you know, whether that's a digital transformation agenda or whether it's the strategic priorities for that organisation. You don't want to come in from an innovation perspective and add risk into that. So as well as nurturing, it's about creating that safe environment in which to innovate. So again, when I come back to gardening, I'm thinking like, you know, you have like a walled garden. How do you create those things that these ideas don't survive out in the wild? Because if you just if you just implemented them into a service, you're not going to get sustainable change and sustainable improvements. You kind of have to start off really small within a safe space. And you then have to kind of, for me, it's about incremental improvement, incremental innovation, because as you're growing that, you're bringing in the people around you uh, that you then need to take that that you you need them to own it and take it forward um to create that sustainable change and sustainable transformation so yeah it's about the nurturing and also it's that fine balance of how do you mitigate any risks that can be perceived within that innovation agenda i love how you talk about it because it's it's almost like the antithesis to the notion of disruptive innovation which tends to get quite sort of fetishized you know this sort of lone sort of man going out to elon musk mark zuckerberg whoever it is and you know this sort of myth of um this person doing it on their own what you're describing is is almost like the opposite to that which is about nurturing and growing and actually working with rather than against the grain of the system and and there is a there is a place maybe for for different sorts of innovation but i think when you're working within a complex quite bureaucratic system where you know if something goes wrong that could be someone's life lost that actually the type of innovation you're talking about i think feels like it has the right fit yeah, and over the years, I've been—I've actually been quite careful of how I talk about innovation because, um, because I've had feedback of the word maverick, and you know that comes up a lot. And that's—I mean, I don't know whether I'm thick or something, but that's another word I have to go and Google because I didn't know what that <laughs> meant either. And then when I looked at it, I was like, "Excuse me, that is not the case." But you know, it can be misinterpreted, can't it? And yeah, there is there's a time for different kinds of ways in which you implement innovation and how it how it's perceived so yeah I think I've been quite careful over the years and how I how I how I describe especially within the NHS because it is risk averse by the nature of what you know what we're doing. Yeah that's interesting you just reminded me of a conversation I I was involved in a an innovation role in an NHS trust I remember talking to nurses and them saying I totally get improvement I feel comfortable with that I feel capable I can see a problem I want to try and solve it but once you start talking about innovation it sounds like quite a big sort of scary thing and I don't feel very competent or capable so I think sort of ecologically the the language you're talking of of improvement and in incremental change I think fits uh, culturally much better within a complex organization a question I've got though is when we talked about those conditions in our uh, analogous garden, space and time is important. You need um, sort of temporal space, you need physical space, and people need not just a psychological safety, but they need actual time away from the hurly burly of their jobs to be able to do some of this thinking, convening, and so on. And we know that time is in short supply. So just talk to me about how you work with that constraint that you must experience in your job it's the biggest constraint i find Mm. time absolutely the money not so much because you can find if you're savvy enough and you're networked enough you can find funding and leverage there's a lot of great investment into innovation you know if we look at sbri and innovate uk 
um, and charitable funds now, but time absolutely is a big constraint because when we're talking about clinical and non-clinical innovation, this is all has to be led by, for me, it's led by the innovator, the champion of that idea, of that new way of working or that new invention. And we need their time because they might be the technical expert or they know the, you know, it's been born out of the, the you know, the conditions they work in. I don't. But I don't know that, you know, um, I need I need them and I need their time. And it is it is really difficult. The ways in which we've tried to overcome that is by adding in bandwidth, you know, having that innovation uh, support, their uh, process in which that, you know, in which we can follow and stakeholders as well that we can bring in when we need them um, to add that extra support to that innovator. That's one way in which we've tried to overcome that. I mean, there's a there's a lot of programs I find that are really inspirational in this in this space in terms of how do you find the time to do it? The Clinical Entrepreneur Program is a national program uh, that supports clinical and non-clinical staff, the workforce of the NHS, you know, with their ideas um, how to improve patient care. And, you know, just by looking at, at the, you know, the cohorts that have come through that program and what they've been able to achieve you know, is is really inspiring. So despite those time constraints, there's still some amazing things coming out of the NHS. And I think we can learn a lot from that. But invariably, you're you know, people are, are really passionate about their ideas and they use a lot of their own time to develop these and to implement these things. And listen, Charlotte, not every idea is going to be good. There must have been times when people have brought ideas to you or you've spoken to clinicians and you're like, do you know what? I've seen this before, It's maybe it won't work, I'm not sure, you know, if we've got 10 potential innovations, we should focus our efforts here. How do you help people make the decision not to do something? Uh, or, or are you able to do that? Because I guess, you know, again, time is precious and I guess your time is precious. So you want to be supporting people where you feel like a potential innovation has a, has a, a really big potential to make an impact. So I'm a researcher by background and things for me needs to be evidence-based. And so we, we wouldn't just turn away somebody's idea because we didn't like the sound of it. There's lots of ideas that I've worked on in the past and I thought, oh, I'm not so sure about that, but I've been proved wrong. And I, oh, it's brilliant when that happens. You know, they're my favourite ones. Um, the fact we do due diligence uh, as part of our innovation work and um, we look at market research has it been done? What's the literature out there? And um, what's the evidence? What's the clinical guidelines? And we put all that into a report, actually, that we um, support the innovator with. And um, that then goes through, you know, some internal process as well, linked to governance. And then we can make an informed decision um, as to whether we want to progress with that, or whether we can support that or not. If we can support it, we'll work with the innovator, you know, to find a win-win situation. Um, and if we can't, it's just an honest um, conversation that actually we can't. You know, it might be time, it might be resources, it might because it's already out there. It might encourage them or link them up to a team that's already done that. Even and if they still want to progress with their idea, um, we're really fortunate. Uh, have a, a big external network. The organisation has a has good network as well, and it will always connect them to you know the next the next people or whoever might kind of help them um, make those things a reality many innovators who have got an idea and they think actually maybe this has benefit beyond my organization maybe i can commercialize it many don't realize that 
often they don't own the IP themselves because of the contractual arrangement they have um, through their sort of um, contract of employment. Whereas some trusts have a shared IP arrangement and so on. How do you work when, when you think there's something that has commercial potential? What's what's the arrangement you have? And, and what would you encourage an innovator to be thinking about whatever organisation they worked in if they were within the NHS? Yeah, that's correct. And I'm really pleased you brought this up, actually, because um, it's quite vital in terms of innovation. Not many people are aware of it, actually. Not many organisations are aware of it either. So we have an intellectual property policy all our NHS Foundation trusts in our region, the North East and North Cumbria, have an intellectual property policy. That's the first thing I would recommend you know, for anybody with a particular idea um, that they think has commercial potential is to be aware that there are contractual things in place around intellectual property. Um, have a look at your, you know, your contract of employment and have a look at your trust intellectual property policy. There are rewards there for the inventor. So our intellectual property policy outlines what those are. If we take something to commercialisation, whether it be a spin out, whether it be a licence to um, someone who's got a market share in that particular market, then any revenue that comes back is divided um, between the inventor uh, and the trust. Um, and any other collaborators in there. And so it's all outlined in our intellectual property policy. So really people just need to make sure they think about that, educate themselves and do whatever they're doing, go into it with their eyes open so they're clear, clear about their sort of con their, their contractual position with their organisation. Absolutely. Um, and to look at ways in and to work with their organisation in ways in which they can protect their ideas and loads of innovators that have come to me with ideas that they've already shared with other people, other organisations, with industry. Um, and there's very little that you can do once those ideas have been divulged or shared. And so there are, there are ways in which you can protect your ideas um, and speak to people freely with that protection in place. And so that's another thing that I would advise as well. But and again, you know, just thinking about how much of this work that you're doing is within within work time, within your own time? But then, what does the does the idea directly relate to your job role and what you do every day? Uh, just to have a think about those things when you're speaking to people yeah. um, about your innovation and intellectual property policy. I mean, you talk about um, divulging ideas, but it's not that ideas are cheap, but actually there are any number of people, everyone has an idea. <laughs> people have always got ideas about how to improve things, how to make things better. I guess the, the, where an innovator is successful is when they can actually develop a product, a new service, a new way of working and implement and get the adoption. And that takes real sort of grit and legwork and application. What proportion would you say, if that's a fair way of asking, of, of, of innovations have you seen sort of get right through to embedding? Because I think it's like it takes 20 years, doesn't it, they say, to get an innovation adopted in the NHS? Well, yes. And it, it, again, it comes back to how you're defining that innovation. So we've absolutely got examples of medical devices that are still in development after 15 years, but one that we developed in the 90s that oh. is, is still not up to market yet, but it's saved many lives um, just in the development of it. And we've got, but then we've got other examples of in the pandemic implementing a six leader live core, um, which is a, a portable ECG device um, to support um, patients who are on 
antipsychotic medication, antipsychosis medication. Um, and the implementation of that um, was a matter of months. So, you know, it, it depends on what we're talking about in terms of innovation. So, yes, it can take many years or it can take months. It also depends on that. That route to adoption is really important in the NHS. I think it's one that industry struggle with quite rightly because of the way that the NHS is set up. You know, if it's a digital technology, for example, do you have to go with a diff, you know, the DPIA for every NHS foundation trust data protect uh, DPIL not you know, you've got all the this this document of evidence uh, you know around your solution that you have to then you, you have to resubmit to, you know, might have to resubmit to every NHS organization you go to. So I think that route to adoption is is a one it's the difficult to navigate for us within the NHS, but also for industry. But there are absolutely those routes to adoption. You just need to know where to how to position your innovation um, you know what procurement framework does it need to be on how does the NHS buy this um, and who do I need to be having those conversations with I think over time I've been able to you know put the piece of the that jigsaw together I think you know in the example of the six leader live core device that was that was an example of of me working with a team and putting all that knowledge and expertise into practice around how you position something for that you know, that wasn't just the adoption of in one NHS trust, it was the adoption across the region, and then it was national adoption. And then you have to have the right environment for it. So we were in the pandemic. You, the governance and and a lot of the, what is seen as bureaucracy, quite rightly, um, was removed. You know, you had those gold commands. So actually, you just needed, you need to go to one committee for, for a yes or a no answer. And that unlocks so much potential in terms of adoption of you know new ways of working and we saw loads of good stuff but now it's all gone it's kind of all gone back to how we used to work and a lot of that hasn't been sustained hasn't been embedded I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that oh that's such a shame isn't it and and so and so do you see have you seen um in terms of sort of process and governance and just that simplicity of decision making have you seen any of that remain or do you think it's all sort of crept back to where it where it was before I think it's different within different organisations, so I can't speak for other organisations, but I feel like there's a lot of change happening within the NHS at that kind of ICS level and also, you know, within within hospitals and within primary care. It seemed for me, it just seems to be in kind of a state of flux and it's all up and not that it's all up for grabs, but there's there's real potential here as we're kind of making these changes to the way that the NHS health and social care are working. There's real opportunities here for, you know, to look at how we're adopting new things and how we're working in new ways. I just hope those things are, are factored in and not just talking about cost improvement programme, which seems to be massive on the agenda and just overtakes everything good yeah. that you try to do. And do you think the um, integrated care system or sort of collaboration required within regions is potentially an enabler? I do remember when um, foundation trusts were introduced and, and, and I worked in one and it, the trust became very competitive with other trusts and didn't want to share learning because it was going to potentially, you know, try and take over that trust or, um, you know, wanted to compete rather than to collaborate. So do you think this sort of shift towards more collaboration is a conducive to innovation then absolutely is you know i really champion that collaborative way of working and the only way that we can really 
tackle the problems that the NHS is facing in health and social care is to work in a collaborative way. And you're right, the way that it was set up before, in that we were in competition with each other, didn't do anybody any favours because we're all competing within the same kind of marketplace. You know, with it, with this ICS structure, we've got a real opportunity to you know, create an ecosystem that complements each other and it doesn't compete with each other and get that kind of environment for collaboration. And what I found as well in that you don't know who's outside of your organisation because you didn't have that lens before. I think with the ICS and convening those people that would have normally come together, you know, so local authorities, councils, public health, um, and NHS acute services, primary care, by being able to convene these spaces and putting these people together, I think that will create some, hopefully, create the right conditions to support you know, service improvement. And we know there's a lot of things that go on in, in hospitals that could be done in primary care. But before, I don't think we really had a lens on those issues. And But for me, it's really, really important that, you know, when we're creating this environment and convening these spaces is that we listen to the voice of lived experience, you know, voluntary care sector, voluntary organisations, absolutely doing so much in proactive, uh, you know, kind of healthcare initiatives and things out in the community, in those communities. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from that in how we shape our healthcare services. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, with the introduction of ICSs, if it's done in the correct way, I think there's a lot of potential there. There's all, you know, of course, there's barriers there. And, and I think it requires the NHS to be humble as well, to go out there and be humble and say, actually, I don't know what it's like from your perspective. And, you know, we all need to have a little bit of humility as we come together and just to just to understand what it is from each other's perspective. Um, I, I, I think it's an exciting time. I'm interested in how it will unfold. <laughs> Yeah, I do think um, hierarchy um, and organisational boundaries are like the enemies of um, innovation. And I, I really like how you describe your hopes for what more integrated care systems can um, support. I just want to touch a bit more on this notion of diversity, which you've um, brought up a few times, and then thinking about maybe the more unusual suspects and 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 um, people with lived experience, people who uh, maybe the NHS hasn't always engaged with. How do you, when you're supporting innovation, um, help people think in a, in a uh, in, in, in an expansive way about who might be included or indeed unintended consequences who might be left behind by an innovation? I'm really pleased you've asked that question and just before I go on to answering that around your um, what you said there about hierarchy being the enemy of innovation it absolutely is I find there's a lot of decisions made at particular levels that don't include that don't, uh, that you know that don't include people at you know uh, kind of on that vertical axis you know uh, frontline staff service users um, carers for example and so yes it's absolutely how do we bring them into the conversation there's there's kind of lots of ways in which um, we've we've, we've we've tried and tested this uh, different ideas over the past and for me it's I think one of the most one of the most powerful things is just going out there, finding finding the people and bringing them round the table. And that's 
exactly what we try to do. We, you know, depending on what the kind of the idea is, a service transformation, it's bringing in those, you know, how do you co-develop something and how do you understand it from a clinical perspective? Absolutely. You know, we need that clinical input. That's really important. And then how do you bring in that lived experience? It's bringing those two things together. So it's having, you know, workshops with clinicians, with patients, with industry, all in the same room, talking about it from everybody's perspective. And then, uh, for example, there was uh, a vest that was created um, where we needed the patient's input of course, and we needed to know what it was like for them when they went home and they had to use this in, uh, you know, in their daily lives. We need the clinical perspective because we needed to understand, well, from a clinical point of view, what are the what are the do's and don'ts, what are the requirements, and then we need the industry perspective. How do we manufacture this? How do we create this? And how do you manufacture this? There's lots of ways in which we do that and con- convene those people together. Um, another example in the pandemic, I'd already touched on the the ECG device. It was really, and when we talk about digital as well, you know, it's just a digital device. It was a digital pathway, and uh, actually, we created a series of event of workshops, which was called "No No One Left Behind." But actually, we are doing loads of service transformation in this digital space. We're, re- you know, there's a real possibility here that we are going to leave people behind. So how do we bring them into the conversation? We started a community of practice that spanned our ICS. It brought together the voluntary care sector. It brought together carers. It brought together people with that lived experience. You know, that's kind of grown now. My my colleagues are doing some really good work in that area and their digital inclusion forum. Uh, You know, they've been able to publish a report now on, on things to consider and how we can support, you know, services that are developed in this way. I think it comes back to, in answering your question, it's create again creating those spaces for people to convene. Another example of how um, we came of bringing that diverse perspective. One of the models that we create I created um, with colleagues a good few years ago now was what I call innovation showcases, and they still go on today um, at Sunderland, and we're bringing them into Newcastle now. Uh, if I give you an example of one, we have a we had a problem in terms of just prototyping, creating physical products, you know, people's ideas. So I went to an engineering and manufacturing event that brought together engineering and manufacturing companies that work in the automobile industry, which was really a bit left of field, but that's innovation, isn't it? You know, we're not going to solve the problems within the NHS if we just look within the NHS for the solutions. So I went to this uh, event and there was rub. There was robot robotic arms and there was just some really cool, funky stuff. And I saw all this amazing stuff at this trade show. I thought, oh, I'm the wrong person to be looking at this stuff. Frontline staff innovators need to look at this stuff. So I invited five of the companies to come into the hospital to just have a stand and showcase this to some frontline staff. And out of that has come lots of ideas and lots of things that we're working on with the manufacturing industry. We did one at Sunderland for the 70th anniversary of the NHS, we brought in patient, our patient experience groups and we did one around patient experience. So these are lots of different ways in which we tested and tried to understand how we can bring in that diverse perspective, those, you know, our, our users of our services um, and different elements of, um, you know, stakeholders within our ecosystem. 
And it's really interesting because I set up, I think it was three years ago now, an innovation forum across our region, across the northeast of North Cumbria, because innovation is such an isolated role within the NHS. You know, it was just me, an innovation manager within a, a big foundation trust, and that's how I feel now. I'm innovation manager in a big foundation trust. Who do I lean on for support? But I had all my friends around me from different organisations. I said, why don't we just come together? And I don't really know what we're doing this for, but it'll it'll all work out, won't it? Um, and we do. It's been going on now for three years. We still get together every other month. We tour a different asset in our region. So we'll go around and map the magnificent manufacturing hub at Northumbria Healthcare Trust. Or we go to Teesside University, Sunderland University, have been all over. We understand what are the strengths that they can bring to our innovation ecosystem. How can we access that for the NHS? And then how can we work with them to create some of these solutions? And, and in that, and in that forum, in creating that safe space in which to share our problems, ideas, and partner up. Um, we've been able to share these different ways in which we try and bring different people into our innovation work. So, again, going back to that ICS structure, you know, being able to have those relationships outside of your organisational boundaries comes with a lot of benefits. Uh, again, though, it comes back to I'm privileged to have the time to go and do that, to go to this innovation forum. A lot of frontline staff don't. So how then? Do we create those spaces for people to do that within our own organisations? It's still a challenge. Charlotte, you're a one-woman dynamo. It's so inspiring listening to you um, speak. And you've, you've, you've just come at this from so many different ways. It really is um, pretty amazing. Um, I, I purposely haven't really talked about digital because I think in innovation, digital often is at the forefront of people's thinking, but really it needs to be for the most part, it's an enabler. But it does sound like digital features quite strongly in uh, the innovation. Would you say that's a, a common substrate or, or core component of innovation? I think so. And, and absolutely, you know, as we, as we unlock more potential that digital has in terms of data, you know, how the data that we, yeah. we capture, how we're using that in a way to inform, inform what we do. I don't think we do that particularly well. In the NHS, there's more. And again, there's more we can learn from other sectors. But what are we doing to go out there and find out how it's been unlocked? And digital is, is a big enabler in terms of innovation. You know, as we know, the, um, the things that we need to, even now within the current landscape of recovery from the pandemic and the waiting yeah. times and all this kind of stuff, there's a whole marketplace, a very saturated marketplace of digital products. And, but some of those are really, really good in terms of um, supporting, you know, that recovery from the pandemic, some of the digital transformation work, some of the work that's coming out of the Innovation Collaborative through NHS England is really exciting. Um, so, yes, digital is a, is a massive enabler, you know, as we've got to shared care records as well and all the things that that can unlock. And, and I guess, you know, data is phenomenally important, isn't it? And and, and innovation relies on data, insight, um, evidence. So I guess it's, 
you know, I guess everyone's grappling with this thing about how do we how do we use data in the right way that respects privacy and um, respects people's choices, but also enables us to um, accelerate innovation. So, you know, it's important you flag it up as a bit of a, a tricky one, but also an important one. Um, Charlotte, we're almost out of time. So um, I want to ask you two things uh, before we finish. Uh, what are you most proud of? And what one thing, if you could make make your um, uh, make a change with your magic wand, what change would you like to see that would really make your job easier and support innovation within your trust and maybe the wider NHS? Oh, it's really hard uh, for me to think of what am I most proud of. I think one of my proudest moments was my last day at, at one of my last days at Sunderland. Actually, worked with an organisation called Little Inventors. And Little Inventors encourages children to come up with inventions around particular themes. And this theme was inventions of the future, I believe, for 2030. Um, across, they came up with all different kinds of inventions across all different sectors, for example. But they approached us because a little boy had come up with an idea for a plaster cast with sensors in it. And the challenge to us was, could we help them make that? And I said, oh, we can absolutely do that. We can do a little bit better than that. We can bring the little boy and his family in. And uh, we took him into the hospital, brought him into the hospital. Uh, he plastered his arm. Um, and then he drilled the drilled the holes for the sensors, medical physics, um, created an electronic circuit and um, helped him put that through the plaster cast. It was then displayed at the Discovery Museum. The little boy was on BBC Breakfast. Oh, wow. I thought, oh, do you know what? That's really not... I was like... And then they, they made a video of it, and uh, I got a bit emotional, really, because I thought, do you know what? Um, that was in the 70th year of the anniversary of the NHS, and I thought, you know, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's like, how do you inspire how that next generation to be thinking of ways to improve you know, um, the quality of care for people. And I just thought, you know, he was dead canny and so clever, this little boy. So I think that's probably my proudest moment is just being able to let that happen, which didn't involve much. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. And what was your second question? Well, I sort of want to end there now because that was such a beautiful story. <laughs> um, but yeah, one thing you'd like to change or one thing you'd like to see change that would help you increase your impact in an, uh, and others like you doing innovation in the NHS? Well, it's such an acute thing at the moment, but more time would be nice, wouldn't it? But, <laughs> you know, um, more people working in the NHS would be nice to allow for more time and afford for more time. Um, but apart from the time thing, I think, do you know what? If you're in that position of leadership, to be able to say to people, you have permission to do this, please do that. Please support people to innovate and to make a difference. There is so much power in just words and small actions and if you're in those positions where you can do that please do that because it just takes those little moments those those words that sentence and it unlocks so much um i don't think enough people do that <laughs> charlotte that is a beautiful place to end thank you so much for your time and and thank you for um joining me on the digital ecology podcast today thank you for having me Thank you for listening to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Please like, subscribe and review via the usual channels. My book Towards a Digital Health Ecology is available via Amazon and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Medium at Victoria Betton.